0: You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California.
1: Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Um, As Aaron said, my name is Ashley. And I live here in Burbank, and uh, I do attend Claremont School of Theology. I am also the proud girlfriend of Jen Hanks, and, uh, <laughs> and um, just very, very happy to be here. I am also an avid listener of this uh, central cast. If you haven't heard his uh, Aaron Sermon series on the event, you really should. It really is... Um, mind. Um, It's really interesting, and it'll expand your understanding of other religions and other faiths. And then I really, really love his sermon series on death. It really helped dismantle a little bit of the fear, a lot of the fear around it. So if you haven't heard any of those podcasts or sermon series, I really would encourage you to do so. Today, I want to offer up to you a feminist reading of the story of Amnon and Tamar. And if you're unfamiliar with the passage, I want to preface that it is about rape and incest and paternal failure. And if that is something that is just not in your best interest to listen to right now, I just want to encourage, to do what's best, encourage you to do what's best for you. Um, so I just want to put that out there. It's not an easy sermon to listen to or a talk to listen to today. Um, and then after I give my talk, we're gonna go through a lament that was written by Pastor Hannah Sims in New City Church LA and downtown that was written specifically in response to the Me Too movement. Um, so if you would like, I would love for you to stay and participate in that with me. Um, okay. In 2006, Tarana Burke penned the phrase, Me Too to give voice to the experience of sexual violence, especially among women of color living in low-income communities. The hope was that by naming and voicing their common pain and hurt, they could find healing in community. Roughly 10 years later, on October 5th, 2017, the New York Times published an article on movie producer and Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein. The article detailed decades of allegations of sexual harassment and misconduct. There were several articles preceding that or coming in after that that uh, talked about rape. 10 days later, actress Alyssa Milano posted a tweet that said, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write me too as the reply to this tweet. And so began the flood of tweets and Facebook messages and public statements of men and women unveiling the reality of the all too common experience of harassment and sexual violence in our country. People tend to have one or two views about the world today. We either think that the world is a better place than it was two to 3,000 years ago, that the people we are now are so very different from those who were alive when the Bible was written, or we belong to a different, much more conservative camp and hold on to the view that everything is just getting progressively worse. Our our culture is becoming more toxic, making it more 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 and more reasonable to isolate ourselves from those whom we deem terrible. Our passage today is going to show you that not much has changed, and although we may have made significant progress in women's rights, we still have a hard time believing women. And what may seem like a 3,000-year-old parable is actually a timeless warning to everyone in this room about the dangers of obsession and apathy. So if you have your Bible, please open it up to 2 Samuel chapter 13. I'm going to be reading from the Revised Standard Version, starting with verse one. Some time had passed, and David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And David's son, Amnon, fell in love with her. Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, The son of David's brother Shemaiah and Jonadab was a very crafty man. He said to him, "O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me something to eat and prepare the food in my sight so that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight so that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough, kneaded it, and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. Then she took the pan and set them out before him, but he refused to eat. Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into my chamber so that I may eat from your ham. So Tamar took the cakes she made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no. My brother, do not force me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do anything so vile. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the scoundrels in Israel. Now therefore I beg you, speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then... Amnon was seized with a very great loathing for her. Indeed, his loathing was even greater than the lust that he felt for her. Amnon said to her, get out. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her he called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe and sleeves for this is how the virgin daughters of the king were clothed in earlier times. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. But Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she was wearing. She put, her, she put her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet now, for my sister, he is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar remained a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard heard of all these things, he became very angry, but he would not punish his son Amnon, because he loved him, for he was his firstborn. Okay, thank you. All right. So in practicing feminist theology, we are going to begin by centering the experience of the woman in this passage. Tamar is the daughter of King David, the sovereign king of Israel. She is royalty, and yet she worked. Verse 8 says, she took the dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked it. We can infer from this passage that she trusted her brother. There's nothing in this passage to suggest hesitation when he cleared everyone else from the room and closed the door. The first thing we hear Tamar say, the first recorded word of hers in the Bible is, no. Verse 12, no, my brother, reminding him of who he is, because perhaps he has forgotten. No, my brother, do not force me. Her words imply that she does not share Amnon's affection and that he would have to force her to do whatever he was planning. Tamar continues, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do anything so vile, verse 13. For as for me, where could I carry my shame? And then she does something surprising and says, now therefore I beg you, speak to the king for he will not withhold me from you. It's safe to to assume that the King David, whom scripture describes as a man after God's own heart, would not have allowed Amnon to violate Yahweh's law and marry his sister. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses delivers 12 curses on the people of Israel and one of them is on people who commit incest. Cursed is anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. So perhaps this moment is a desperate plea, a way to stop her brother, to slow him down. She probably saw how quickly she became in danger and begged him with the same desperate compliance of someone on the other side of a gun, wait, wait, let me get my wallet. I have jewelry in the other room. Tragically, this passage tells us that Tamar's attempt to protect and save herself did not prevail. In verse 14, we read, but he would not listen to her and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. He raped her. This man raped his sister. And in reading the Old Testament, this is a very unique experience and a very unique story. So much of the Old Testament is written on a very, um, written from a very large view of things. Seldom does the Old Testament zoom in on a person and their experience and their pain, especially of that of a woman. And then to read about the strategic manipulation of two men to rape one's sister is terrifying. There is only one other passage in all of Scripture more violent and more devastating than this, and this is second and it's second to the Levites' concubine and judges. And I say that in full view of the cross. So Amnon rapes his sister. Amnon's feelings drastically change. His complete 180 turn reminds us that he did not see Tamar as a person. Tamar was not a human being he respected, whose thoughts and needs mattered. She was an object he had to have, even at her own expense. Earlier in the chapter we read, Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill. The Hebrew word means to become sick diseased and grieved. He became ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin and it seems impossible to Amnon to do anything with her. I want to point out and make clear that this is not Tamar's problem, his illness. Okay? Her brother's lust and rage and lack of self-control and total denial of the word no is not her problem and not her issue to fix. It's important for us as women to remind each other not to diminish our beauty, to diminish our light, or to take up less space, or to hide ourselves because someone else has serious issues. Tamar's story is laced with shame. She says, as for me, where could I carry my shame? After raping, his sister Amnon shames her, saying, put this woman out of his presence and bolt the door after her. Even the author re-emphasizes the level of shame here with the note in verse 19, but Tamar put ashes on her head, tore the long robe that she was wearing. She put her hand on her head, went away, crying aloud as she went. So here again, I'm going to practice a feminist hermeneutics of suspicion versus just simply consenting to the text. I'm wondering, where did this shame come from? What exactly did Tamar do wrong? Her brother is a rapist, her brother violated her, her brother caused her incredible harm. Amnon has everything to be ashamed of, she does not. Many of us in this room grew up in the height of the purity culture with books like I Kiss Dating Goodbye and sexual purity campaigns like True Love Waits. I don't have to work hard to help you to see the incredible damage this has caused. However, I do want to suggest that the purity culture would have us believe that sexual molestation, victims of sexual molestation, sexual abuse, and rape, because of the sexual nature of their wrong, are in some way irreparably damaged. They are to be ashamed. I mean, it's one thing to have sex outside a marriage that makes you a bride that can't wear white. It's a whole other thing to be violated. What would someone else want with that? That's damaged goods. Someone like that comes with trust issues, anxiety, and baggage. I mean, that's what so much, I think, of the underlining current of the purity culture is feeding into. That's our thinking. That's our shame we put on victims. Anyone suffering from the experience of being sexually harmed or violated, whether you're a man or a woman or a child, there are basic, understandable, genderless areas where one might have to recover one might have to recover trust especially for those who were supposed to protect them they might have to do the work of making new and positive associations to touch tamar might feel her brother's arms pinning her down in a flashback anytime someone touches her arm she might need to be physically healed and see a doctor for the tears in her vagina these are the basic and necessary areas of needs of recovery there is no shame in needing to heal she didn't do anything wrong, her brother did. So let's talk about her brother. It's easy to look at him and what he did and stick him in a box marked R as if we could never do anything so terrible. But there is so much about his process that we need to pay attention to. For one, Amnon fell in love, verse one, with someone who did not share his feelings. It's a loud reminder to examine our hearts and make sure that we are not nurturing thoughts and feelings about someone with whom we are in love with or obsessed with who clearly does not share what we feel. It's a loud warning. Emnon reminds me of the character in Orange is the New Black with uh, Morello, who builds up this elaborate story in her head about this man whom she is in love with, who I think she was engaged to, who wanted nothing to do with her. This kind of denial can lead us to objectifying people. The more you ignore the no, the more the person is no longer a human being. They become an object for your gratification. I want to ask you, I want to propose that your relationship to the truth should grow over time. And then, of course, everyone at Central asks, what is truth? I'm not talking about a metaphysical ideology or a religious doctrine, so much of that is debatable and can be personal and a very subjective experience. I'm talking about hard facts, your blood pressure, your credit score, the state of your marriage, your addictions, your physical limitations, someone's no. You should grow, we should all grow into becoming more and more comfortable with the truth and making peace with it, not denying it, Because failing to grow in our relationship to the truth can lead to serious harm. Earlier in the series, Rima Zaman spoke about silence and how painful that can be within the context of trauma. And I want to encourage you to go back and listen to her talk and explore that more. Here we find David, the righteous king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, tragically apathetic. Verse 21 says, when King David heard of all these things, he became very angry, but he would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him, for he was his firstborn. Some commentators say, well, how can he punish Amnon? He did the same thing to Bathsheba. Perhaps it's because And if that is a new thought for you, I wanna encourage you to go back and read the story of David and Bathsheba and just study her husband, Uriah. Just do a character study of this man and it'll make a little bit more sense, I think, for you. I would argue that it's because Tamar is a woman. His apathy was rooted in the fact that she was a woman and damaging a woman is not so bad as damaging a man. I'm inferring this from the beginning of the book. David avenged the death of Saul by the hand of the Amalekite in the first chapter of 2 Samuel. He had the entire country memorize the song of the bow. David's lament for the loss of Saul and Jonathan was widely known. But with his daughter, he did nothing. Like so many men in the Hollywood industry, he was silent about what was going on. Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino was brave enough to confess what so many people would not. I knew enough, and I did nothing. In the critically acclaimed film Spotlight in 2015, journalist Mike Resendez, played by Mark Ruffalo, realizes the level of cover-up in the Catholic Church and all that so many underwent to protect the priests who were sexually abusing children. I saw the movie three times just to hear... Mark Ruffalo say, they knew, they knew, and they did nothing. David's story reminds us that you can be a man after God's own heart and be an utter failure as a father or as a human being in relation to other people. So what is our response? To the women and men and children who have been sexually abused, violated, and harmed by others, do we remain silent? We have to speak up. We have to name what is happening. We have to do the hard work of speaking up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. We must believe survivors. We must come to a place where we understand women and children as actual human beings capable of telling the truth. We must believe women. These are all things you have heard over and over again as our whole culture has gone through the Me Too movement, but it's just so true and it never stops being true. We must do the hard work of dismantling toxic, the toxicity of male sovereignty. That's the core of patriarchy, I think, is male sovereignty, this idea that men have power over everything. David's story in this chapter is the epitome of that. David is the sovereign king of Israel. He could have done anything, and it would have been with Yahweh's blessing We must do the hard work of dismantling the purity culture and the shame it continues to compound on us, especially for victims. We must listen to each other's story and take steps towards protection, safety, healing, and restoration. And remember that restoration looks different for different people. We must do the hard work of accepting boundaries and limitations in our own lives, deepening our relationship with the truth. And we must pray and remember that even though we may be victims, we are not destroyed. In 2017, Larry Nasser was convicted of sexual molestation with the USA Gymnastics. During his sentencing, victims of Nasser had the opportunity to tell him exactly what their experience did to them. I want to read to you Ms. Kapua's words. Lastly, a few words to Mr. Larry Nasser. You broke and shattered a lot of girls. You manipulated us to trust you because you're a doctor, and doctors do no wrong, only heal. You are not a healer. I am no longer broken by you. I am Jay Kapua, and I am a survivor. Amen. I wanna take a moment to read together a lament written by Pastor Hannah Sims of New City Church, LA. Following along, will you join with me in the lament by reading along? Before we do, and these are Pastor Hannah Sims' words, I want to acknowledge the heteronormative limitation of this lament. I also want to acknowledge the men who also experience sexual harassment and violence, frequently portrayed by other men and sometimes women. But today, together as a community, we're going to lament the deplorable prevalence and normalization of sexual violence per- perpetrated by men against women. So if you will, as I read the text on the screen, please respond if you will. Christ have mercy on us. For every woman who has been unkindly touched, shouted at, spoken of, abused, imagined, or treated as a sexual object for the power and pleasure of a man, we lament. For every woman whose power has been undermined, who has been told that the image of God in her is silence and subservience, who has been taught that her experience is secondary to the actions of men around her, we lament. For every woman who has striven to be whole, only to be told that she is too much, not enough, too sensitive, an abomination, an embarrassment, we lament. For every time we have turned a blind eye to the wounded, hoping that they would heal themselves. For every time we looked outside in anger for a Savior, when the heart of Christ broke within us, and when we have craved quick solutions that don't require us to face the pain of the truth we lament for the men who have been told that they must be predators conquerors tearless fearless and cruel to be truly men who despair that their past behaviors make them fundamentally irredeemably monstrous we long to be free from the bondage of lust and selfishness, we lament. Let us pray. May we be people who love one another well, not shying away from hard truth, but telling one another when we hurt, listening to one another and trusting that Christ is coming day by day in the restoration of his good creation and his church May we be men and women who have eyes to see and ears to hear, the spirit breathing, healing among us. Amen.
0: Each episode of the Central Cast is followed by an interactive discussion. If you'd like to participate in recordings, or if you're interested in exploring progressive faith and theology for a postmodern context, check out centralavenuechurch.org. Here's this week's unedited discussion. Actually, Ashley, this is basically a comment. As a cisgender male, an older cisgender male, thank you for enlightening. It was, it was. that's all I gotta say. Thanks, so. yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, hi, Isabel.
2: So um, I sat here crying. I wanted to run the minute you said the topic because I just, I'm, it's a very tough topic for me. It's very personal um i stayed because i i've promised myself that i want to heal um, i don't know that it's possible at this point but thank you for your message
0: thanks isabel somebody else uh, ashley did you want to respond to any of that or yeah. i don't know
1: if it's possible either and i share the same um I say that as a, as a victim. Um, uh, there's a beautiful book called Emergent Strategy by Adrian Marie Brown and she talks about healing and transformative justice and uh, moving away from seeing things one way and looking at them a little bit more differently. And she's just a big proponent of normalizing healing and normalizing the need that we need to be healed. And if that's just something that is um, of interest to you, I want to encourage you to read her work, Adrienne Marie Brown, Brown, Emergent Strategy. Um, but thank you for sharing.
3: Anyone else?
0: We're going to get a second mic so we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> Kimberly.
3: So I I'm not a survivor of sexual abuse, um, and I'll just I'll just share my what came up for me in listening to you. Um, I, I I'm also not a perpetrator of sexual abuse, but I I have been a victimizer, and in terms of objectifying another person as a need-meeting machine, um, regardless of whether that was in a sexual area or not. Um, And it's not the first time that I've known this, but this is just what's coming up for me. Um, So that was a spouse. Um, I've also victimized, in a certain sense, my son um seeing him as a reflection of myself not and that's in a form of objectification you know of just seeing him as how he looks and how he acts like no you have to be a certain way so that i feel okay about myself you know um and i am still in relationship with my son and have to have to value him as a whole person and i'm i'm constantly challenged (laughs) by by that uh that goal Um, my ex-spouse has recently come back into my life and has been that's been stirring up all kinds of emotions and um i i just i just wanted to say that i'm i'm i see myself in that role of a victimizer that might be too harsh of a word but um i just think that it's important that i think you even stated that in the very beginning like this is a human experience to be on both sides of the equation and i can see how i've been on the victimizer side and i don't want to continue to do that so by stating it by observing it by speaking it out I, that is me saying, I want to love well.
0: Thank you for that honesty, yeah.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yes, when I first read that story, well, after, recently when I read it, I, Amnon's story came out front and center. This idea of ignoring what someone says and thinks and feels, and totally, going after what it is that I want, no matter the cost, even to that person. Uh, And it takes, it's, like I said at the very end, you know, these are, we must believe women, we must see each other as human beings and respect boundaries. These are things we hear all the time, but they don't stop being true because there's something new in the news. We must deepen our experience with truth in this way and it's just tough, and I really appreciate you uh, sharing that. Thank you. Anyone else?
2: Ashley, I want to thank you for uh, reminding me of the hope, because I see in the history of of human experience that we really have come so far. David was. 10,000 years before, or 1,000 years, excuse me, before Christ. It's been 2,000 years since Christ. It's taken us a long time to get to this room, and this day, with these people, but we're talking about it. We're naming ourselves as those who have gone wrong. We, you said we've been hearing this over and over. We have not. We have not. When the women gathered around Tamar to heal her physically torn body and broken body, they did it in silence. They didn't make headlines. We do now. We have hashtags and social media. In this room, in this moment, it's brand new. We're like on the cusp of a change in our species. We are closer to being Christ-like and having Christ-like minds, Christ-like speakers, Christ-like admitters. We're on our way. Thank you for making it so clear to me. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Beth, and I just wanna acknowledge uh, Beth is Beth and is one of the women that has really helped mentor me through feminist theology and so I'm very much indebted to her in a lot of ways. Thank you, Beth. Anyone else?
0: Um, I really appreciate everything you're saying. I think it's Im- important to say for sure. Um, and I just have a question uh, in regards to zooming in a little bit on the specific issue i think that i've noticed is somewhat of a crossover from uh, feminist philosophy and one of the big intersections one of the few intersections maybe i see between that and purity culture from which i was deeply raised in and uh, i see all of the deep harm in my life and those around me from that. But one of the things that I've never really feel like I've had a, a satisfying grasp on is the idea of lust and the idea of um, objectification. Um, I I understand very clearly, like as far as personal boundaries, like what is, uh, what people are comfortable with when you're, crossing a boundary physically or emotionally with somebody else, but um, I've listened to many different minds and camps on this idea of objectifying another person and I've heard like some humanists uh, Come combat and I've actually had conversations with some sex workers, too who say who argue that um Objectification is part of everyday life and it's not always a bad thing like for example if you hire a plumber to come to your house You're technically in a objectifying transaction with that person, but it's not necessarily harmful Um, So I would I guess my question is where where would you kind of draw the personal line even in a mental uh, You know non um, Relational aspect with the idea of what what is something that is lustful and harmful and objectifying, where it becomes that as the negative uh, concept that we're associating with these harmful behaviors.
1: I think it boils down to just two things: the the truth that one example that is just a plumber. In Amnon and Tamar's example, that is his sister. That is um, not only against the Levitical law or the religious law of the time, it is going to be an event of moral injury on his sister. Uh, he knows he will not get permission from his sovereign king of a father to do what he wants. It's, there's, it's this relationship to truth that he just completely denies. The second thing I would say is Even the normalization of objectifying people, I don't know if it's a good thing. I I know it's not a good thing, but I think even in different contexts, I think we must always look at people as if they are full-fledged human beings, worthy of our trust and um, people who have thoughts and feelings and desires and who can change their mind and who can cause harm or not cause harm, we must continue to do be on this process of um, deepening our sense of our common humanity in one another, but also our own humanity. It's just, we're human beings who must come to terms with the truth. However, that plays itself out in different circumstances. Thank you for your question. You're brilliant, by the way. Anyone else? Okay, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, thank you.